Amen. So notice in verse 36 of Acts chapter 9, it says, Now there is at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days uh, she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. And for as much as little as night at Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him, that he would not delay to come to them. I'm going to stop reading right there, but notice this woman, Tabitha, or Dorcas, who is a disciple of Christ, and here she goes and dies. A, a woman at a young age dies. Now, I had no idea when I prepared this message. I almost preached it last Sunday. I'd be going to a funeral of a younger person just this week. So it just goes to show you, you never know. You never know when you're going to die. You never know when your time is going to come. And uh, the truth, the title of this message this morning is preparing for your funeral. One of these days, your funeral is going to come. Unless the rapture comes before then, one of these days, you are going to have a funeral. Just like we all have a birthday, we all have a death day. And the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. This day is coming for all of us where... There is going to be a funeral. Now, some people don't care about their funeral. You know, it's like, well, I'll be dead, so who cares? You know, who cares what they do with my body? You know, who cares? You know, what the funeral's like? You know, who cares what happens to everybody afterwards? I care about those things. You know, I care about my family. I want to make sure they're taken care of. I care about my funeral. I've talked to my wife about, you know, who I want to preach my funeral and different things I want done at my funeral. I've talked to her about those things. And because, you know, I don't want it to be a total dud and a flop. Now, I would really love to have a funeral like Dorcas did in many ways, especially because of the fact she rose from the dead. That'd be pretty cool. That's probably not going to happen with any of us unless the rapture comes at my funeral. Then that that would happen. But I'm not going to be talking about how to have a funeral like that. But I do think we can learn from this woman some things that we should shoot for when it comes to our funeral. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 8, better is the end of a thing than the beginning thereof and the patient in spirit better than the proud in spirit. I want to have a good ending. And what determines you know, my ending, it's what I'm doing right now. I've got to prepare for that now. You know, Whenever a baby is born, everyone's always excited when a baby is born. You know, obviously, as parents, you, know, you love that baby before it's even done anything. You know, but one of the reasons you love it so much, one of the reasons you're so excited about it, is you're thinking about the future. You're thinking about the potential. You have all these dreams for your children. You know, we we all have these expectations for our children. So it's pretty common for us to be excited about you know the birth. But at the same time, the greatest testimony is not how people feel at your birth, but the what's really important is how people feel, how people react at your death, at your funeral. That's something that we prepare for right now. You know, when my kids were born, especially I remember when Tommy was born, he was the first, our first kid, he was the first grandkid on my side of the family, on my wife's side of the family. You know, there was all this anticipation, there was all this excitement, and when he was born, everybody just went, you know, everybody went nuts. They're all excited, and the kid hadn't done a thing. You know, he hadn't accomplished a thing. All he did was came into the world. 
And everybody was. Everybody was excited. And that's normal. Alright? That's fine. That's normal. That's how it should be. But, you know, I don't know what the reaction was to everybody when I was born. I was just a baby. I don't really remember it. You know, I was uh, my parents first, but I wasn't the first grandbaby on either side of the family, so I don't know if there was that much excitement. But either way, my testimony is not in how people felt at my birth, but it's going to be on how they are at my death. And that's what we see here in this story. We see the response from these people that are at this funeral. And what we see going on in this funeral is what I want going on in my funeral. Okay, Not just coming back from the dead, but everything else, even before that. Even if she would have stayed dead, this would have been a good story and a great testimony of this woman that, that died. And I think it's important, I think it's important, first of all, and this is kind of a side note here, I just want to say this to everybody. I do think it's important that everyone have a plan for their funeral service. I think you ought to think about that. In fact, I think you ought to write some things down. I think you ought to write down what songs you want sung. I think you need to write down, you know, who you want as the pallbearers, you know, who you want to preach it. I mean, write down these things so your family doesn't have to figure it out afterwards. I've seen it before where People have died and they had no plan for their funeral. And often their family, they don't come to, they don't go to church, they don't go to this church, and they just go find some random person to do the funeral. And the service is just terrible. It's not what the person would have wanted. But the problem is, they didn't make any plans. So you need to think about that. You ought to have something written down. You ought to have it, you know, give it to your children. Or you can even give it here. We'll make a special file for funeral plans. And we'll pray that, you know, that paper gets old and turns to dust before you ever need it. But just in case, it's, it would be good to have that. And, uh, you, so I, I would encourage you to do that. And not just, not just the older people, right? Young people die too. It happens. And so, you know, I think you ought to get that done. Let your family know. It'll make it easier for them. You know, I think wills are important. All that stuff's good. But that's another subject. But more importantly, though, than the music that you have. You know, I, there's certain songs I just don't want getting sung at my funeral. You know, I, there's certain songs I do want sung at my funeral. So we need to share these things. People need to know. You know, more, uh, you know, more important even than the preaching that goes on in the funeral is the response from everyone at the funeral. Because I've been to a lot of funerals in my life. A lot. You know, I grew up in a pastor's home. We go to funerals all the time. People in the church. Sometimes my dad would just get calls from the funeral home to preach random funerals. I've, had, I've done that before. I've, I've preached funerals of complete strangers. I didn't even know anybody, but when I get asked to preach somewhere and i got a fresh audience, I take advantage of it and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach the Gospel at that funeral. So I always... You know, anytime I get asked to preach a funeral, the answer is always yes. But I always mention to anybody that asks me, you know, I'm going to give a Gospel presentation. At, at this, otherwise, it's like, what's the point? You know, but um, you know, but I've so I've been to a lot of funerals. I've seen some things, and the attendees and their response, it is very telling about the life of the person who died. And some things that you might see at funerals, some things that I've seen before that I really don't want to happen at my funeral is I've been there where hardly anybody shows for the funeral. You ever been to a funeral like that where just hardly anybody's there? I mean, just nobody shows, nobody cared. I don't want that to be my funeral. You know, you have people who show out of obligation. 
You have that one person that shows up because they're going to be the one that inherits their car. And so they figure it's probably important that I show up at the funeral. You know, well, I got to show up. It was my mom. You know, boy, I don't, I don't want that to be my kid's attitude. Well, he was our dad. We're going to look like idiots, you know, and jerks if we don't go to our dad's funeral. I really don't want that to be the response from my kids. But I've been there before. I talked to another pastor here in town one time, and he said one of the things that uh, he he talked to another pastor and said what he likes to do at the graveside is just to kind of give people a chance to testify about the person instead of opening up and then letting people go down memory lane, which can be a disaster. And I've seen that before at funerals. He said, describe one word to describe this person. And people, you know, they'll say things like loving, generous, you know, that, that's kind of, you know, they start saying all these good things. He said he's at a funeral once, and so he heard that, and he's like, that's a great idea. So he was preaching a funeral, and he did that very thing, and then people started saying things like jerk, <laughs> selfish, you know. I mean, just, it was all negative stuff, and it was just like, uh, and, and he said it was just a horrible funeral too. It was like everybody was there out of obligation. And it just had a bad attitude. But he didn't really know why. He hadn't really talked to many people. And it wasn't until he did that at the graveside that he realized, yeah, these people are only here because they have to be. Because they don't want to look bad you know, for not showing up at their dad's funeral. I don't want that to happen at my funeral. But what does that say about that person? Oh, he raised... Sorry, kids. No, he probably was all those things. If that's what they're saying at his funeral, I don't want that to be the case. You know, some people they show up at funerals just because they all want to be there for the reading of the will. They all want to show up at the funeral because they've got to make sure that everybody else in the family knows that, hey, I'm the one that's getting the house. I'm the one that's getting this card. You know, they all want to come there and fight over everything. And listen, if you don't want your kids fighting at funerals over your stuff, you might want to get a will. You might want to do things like that because it can get ugly. Families have gotten torn apart after funerals, after mom and dad died, and they were torn apart. They don't speak to each other anymore over a few thousand bucks, over a few items. That's terrible. Don't let that happen in your family. Some people at funerals are just kind of relieved the person's dead. It's just like, finally. I didn't think they'd ever go. I don't want that to be the case. These are all bad examples, but here in this story, we see some great examples and the kind of what I want it to be like at my funeral. Let's look at some things that was said about her at her funeral. So look at verse 36. It says, Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. Notice how it mentions she was a disciple. Referring to a disciple of Christ. Now, right there, that is something I once said at my funeral. Because, you know, not every Christian is a disciple. Turn over to Luke chapter 14 and look at what it says there. Just because you're saved, just because you're a child of God, it does not necessarily make you automatically a disciple of Christ. That's a, that, that is a special title right there. It says in Luke 14, verse 26, If any man come to me, and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I want us to stop and think about this for a little bit because this verse sounds terrible. 
But we all know, and I've explained before, how Jesus is just showing that we ought to prefer Him before all our family. Now, there are people out there that would say, that's terrible. You know, family first. No, actually, God first. Say, well, if we're going to be God first, you know, that's going to make us a bad family member. No, actually, we are going to see that this woman, Tabitha, she was a disciple of Christ, meaning she loved God first, everyone else second. And yet, we see she did a really good job of thinking about other people. She did. Did you know that if you would put God before your family, it would make you a better husband and a wife and a father and a mother and make you better kids? It would make you a better friend. If you would put God before your co-workers and before your job, it would make you a better employee. It would make you a better co-worker. If you would put God before everyone else, if you would put God before your friends, you would be a better friend. Putting God first makes you better at everything. But you know, the truth is, people who say family first, people who say friends before God and all that kind of thing, the truth is, the people who have that attitude are actually putting themselves first. Well, i got to put my family first because if I put the things of God before the things of my family, my family's all going to get mad at me. Oh, so you're thinking about yourself then. But what we see here, we see in the Bible, someone who is a disciple of Christ puts God before everyone else. And here we see a woman named Tabitha who put who was a disciple of Christ, meaning she put Him first, but there was no shortage of people who knew that she loved them. She had a great testimony with those that she was around. And so I, I believe that's something I want said about me at my funeral. I want people saying, He was a disciple of Christ. This was a man who loved the Lord, who put God first, who kept the commandments of God, who did the things that God called him to do. That's what I want said about me. And that, that, was, that was like her title. Hey, this woman, Tabitha, it's not just a young woman, because it's always tragic when a young person dies, isn't it? It always makes bigger news when a young person dies. But here in the story, it wasn't just because she was young and because she should have had her whole life ahead of her. It was a big deal because this woman was a disciple of Christ and her early departure from this earth, it created a void. It All of a sudden, all these people that are around are like, hey, we're going to be missing something not having this woman around. This is going to, be a, this is going to have a negative impact on our church not having this woman around. On people's own personal lives. This is someone who helped me. This is someone who made a difference in my life. Her not being around, it created a void. That is a good thing. And that's what's going to happen when you're a disciple of Christ. When you All of a sudden, when you put Him first, when you make Him the priority in your life, if when you go, people are going to notice it. You know why? Because you've been serving other people. That's how we serve God. That's how we put, how we put Him first, by doing things for others. So Tabitha obviously did these things. According to Jesus, she hated everyone else and loved Him. She loved Him first. But, did it make her a better friend or did it make her a worse friend? This woman clearly was a great friend. And I believe that ought to be our attitude. Our attitude should always be God first. The things of God first. He's the priority over everyone else. And if you do, if you get worried about that, 
thinking that's going to make me a bad friend, that's going to make me a bad family member. No, that's just you being selfish. That's you thinking about yourself. That's you thinking somebody else is going to think negative of me. But the fact of the matter is people who put God before their families are better family members. People who put God before... Men who put God before their wives are better husbands. That's just how it works because when you put God first, you know, God tells us, husbands, love your wives. Husbands, you know, give honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. It's the Bible. It's God that told us, fathers, to love your children. Provoke them not to wrath. Bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. It's God that tells us to do that. It's God that tells us to be obedient to our masters, not with eye servants as men pleasers. The truth is, because I love God so much, I want to obey my bosses. I want to do what they tell me to do. Truth is, most of the bosses I've had in my life, I didn't really like very much. And often, I would have to tell myself, obey Him for the Lord. He's your real boss. He's the real boss, and so I'd be a good servant. Not for them. I didn't like them. In fact, hated some of them. <laughs> like the Bible said. But I love God. So that meant I was good to them. So listen, if you hate your boss, go ahead. Alright, hate him. Use that verse in the Bible to prove that. But then go be good to him because God told you to. That's, that's what you ought to do. And I'm not telling you to literally go hate him. But even if you hated your wife, and that's bad, alright? That's bad if you hate your wife. Okay? But if you really love God, you're going to be a good husband to that wife you hate. Alright? Something's still wrong, but you will do the right things, alright? But, and, and I think if you love God and you're doing the right things, I think you're going to end up loving your wife. Alright? So, but if you do, if you're in a situation right now, you hate your husband, you hate your wife, you could fix that by starting to love the Lord. Because it will. It will change you. It will fix your attitude. And you'll be better across the board. The best way to work on your marriage relationship is to work on your relationship with the Lord. That always makes a difference. So we'll go, uh, turn back to Acts chapter 9. Let's look at what it says about her. So she was a disciple. It says she was full, of, in verse 36 at the end, she was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. It doesn't mean being full of good works. That's just what she spent her time doing. That's just that's that's what she did. That's how she, uh, you know, lived her life. That was her focus. It says that it came to pass in those days that when she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber, and for as much as little as nine to Joppa. And the disciples had heard that Peter was there. They sent unto him two men, desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber with all the widows. And all the widows stood by him, weeping, and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. Notice these widows. All right, we have women who don't have husbands take care of them. Probably the elderly, people who couldn't do things for themselves. But yet, there is one thing these women all had in common that were there. They had these nice coats, things that helped keep them warm during a difficult time. Uh, when it, when people were poor, when it wasn't as easy to get coats and things as it is today, and they're going to Peter, and they're all weeping, and they're showing, they're displaying the works that she had done for them. And this is what this woman did. Ever, this is her testimony. People are talking about her. 
people are crying at her funeral because this was someone who had, I mean, she had touched the lives of these people. She had been a, a blessing to these people. And folks, you don't realize the impact you can have just by doing little things for other people. I've been amazed in the past at just little things that I have done without even thinking about that I found out were just these huge blessings to people. Uh, you know, and, and you never know. There's some people that you can go and you can do great things for them. You can make great sacrifice for them and they don't care. They're ungrateful. That's just how it is. In fact, it seems like the ones you do the most for are often the most ungrateful. It's just a universal truth. But then there's other people that are out there. It's like you barely did anything. I mean, you just did some little random thing for them and they just never forget it. And they always want to talk about it. And they tell everybody about it. And they talk about you like you're just the greatest thing that ever happened because of some little thing you did. And I'm just, I'm kind of like, wow, you know, I, I, I feel like I just got lucky on that one. I just, I, you know, randomly did that without thinking about it. But the truth is, you know, if we are, if we're just doing things for people, if you're doing random acts acts of kindness, if you're doing, you know, works for other people, there are going to be some people. When your time comes, when your funeral comes, they're going to miss you. They're going to be talking about the good things you did. But unfortunately, we often let the ungrateful discourage us from doing the good works. You can't do that. Okay? Don't let the ungrateful people stop you from doing good. There's always going to be those people in the church that are going to want to criticize you when you try doing something for the Lord. Okay? Don't let those people stop you. And that, that's another sermon for another day. But this woman, she, did, she had this testimony. Look what it says in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. The Bible says, "...not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost." Once again, let me remind you, you're not saved by your works. No one is going to go to heaven because they do good works. Tabitha did not go to heaven because of the good works that she did. The Bible is very clear. We do not get saved by works of righteousness. That's not going to get anyone to heaven. But let's keep reading here. It says, "...which He shed in us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life." I'm an heir because of His grace. I have received unmerited, undeserved favor. I don't deserve heaven, but I'm going to get it because I've been justified by His grace. I've been justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's why I'm going to heaven. But now I'm saved. I've received imputed righteousness. I've received justification. So what does that mean now? Does God want me to just go and sin all that I want and do nothing? No. This is what it says in verse 8. This is a faithful saying. And these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These are good and profitable for your salvation. Is that what it says? Did I misread that? Okay. Notice what it's saying. He's saying affirm constantly. So like, Pastor Tommy, you say we're not saved by works, but why are you always preaching about works? Because I'm supposed to affirm constantly that we maintain good works. That you who have believed Okay, I'm preaching to save people today. If you believed on Christ, you should do good works. Why? Not because they're good and profitable for salvation, because they are good and profitable unto men. We're trying to make this world a better place. 
We as believers should be doing good works because we need to make Rock Falls a better place. Rock Falls should be a better town because Liberty Baptist Church is in this town. That, that ought to be the case. Sterling ought to be a more friendly town because we have members of Liberty Baptist Church that are residents in Sterling. It ought to be a more friendly place. It ought to be a more decent looking place. There ought to be more people that look like Christians, act like Christians. There ought to be less road rage on the road because we're out there. There ought to be more good works. There ought to be less crime because we are here. That should make a difference. And if we're not going to maintain good works, if we're not going to do these things, we profit these people in this area nothing. But if we're out there doing good things, we're going to be a blessing to somebody. And little things can make a difference. Little things like making a coat. For someone, or you know, cross-stitching, knitting a hat for someone that has cancer—that type of thing. These little acts of kindness, you know, buying someone's meal for them, being friendly and talking to someone. Hey, we need to get like it is down in the south, where you can go down south, you can sit in a restaurant, and before you know it, you're having a conversation with the whole restaurant. You're all, it's like that in the South. You go down there to eat and all of a sudden you're having dinner with the whole place. Why don't we do that in Illinois? I'll tell you why. Because stinking Yankees are rude. <laughs> Yankees are a bunch of snobs. Think because you won the Civil War that you know, you're better than everybody else. Well, you know what? We're a bunch of rude snobs. That shouldn't be the case because Liberty Baptist Church is here. Because God's people are here. This ought to be a friendly town. Instead of me, when I'm going down south and thinking, why are all these people that I don't know talking to me? People in Rock Falls, when they come through here, they ought to think, why are all these people in town talking to me? Why did those people smile at me? We, I, I mean, I feel bad. Okay, You Yankees have rubbed off on me. But when, I was, uh, when we were down south one time, these people were sitting there eating. These people were looking at us and smiling. And at first, I'm like, why are they looking at us? You know? That's rude. No, it's not. That's nice. Alright? That's nice. Why don't you go out there and smile at somebody? Have you seen the faces of the people in this town? There's a lot of misery out here. Why don't we try to do something about that? And maybe we'll get a reputation, you know, and there's all these people in town that are always smiling and talking to strangers. You know, maybe we'll get out. Yeah, this probably, they probably go to Liberty Baptist Church. See those women that dress like women? Those men dress like men? They must go to Liberty Baptist Church. You know, that, that ought to be the testimony of our church. Hey, this town's getting a little more friendly. What's going on? Liberty Baptist Church must be growing. That ought to be the attitude. Why? Because if we're God's people, if as a church we're constantly, I mean, just harping on doing good works, it's going to help because good, your good works are good and profitable, not just for us in here, for them out there. We need to be profiting this town. And listen, the world often speaks against us as evildoers, but that's just the evil workers out there that want to put a stop to the light, that want to put the light out. But most of the people out there, they're more, it's more neutral ground. That's out there. We're always going to have the people out there trying to stop us. Okay, those the, the evil workers, the evil doers that are out there. But most people out there are neutral, and they're going to appreciate your random acts of kindness. We were at the airport the other day. I had Allie with me, and there, the, there was a lady right in front of me. She had a, she had her backpack 
and there was money like hanging out of it. And we were standing there for the long time. I was looking at that money, and I, I pointed out to Allie. And I'm just thinking, man, I could just so easily. Yeah. And, you know, the thought goes through your head. I'm not going to lie, you know, when you see stuff like that. But you know what? Take it. And you know what? I, I think she was lucky that a Christian was standing behind her. I think she was lucky that it was me standing behind her. Because I wasn't scared of her. I could have easily done that. We were in that little uh, thing that goes in between the building and the plane. I don't think they have cameras in there. I don't think anybody was seeing me. I didn't fear man in that situation. I was scared to death of God. I was scared of my daughter seeing me steal like that. Thinking Dad, th- Dad thinks it's okay to steal as long as it's easy. <laughs> as long as you're probably not going to get caught. I don't, I don't want to teach my daughter something like that. And you know, we've got to make sure we're not taking advantage of people. Somebody drops a $20 bill, you know, hopefully it'll be in front of one of us. Because hopefully, we'll pick it up and give it back to them. We'll point it out. Hopefully, if somebody breaks down on the side of the road, they're going to do it when one of us are driving by because we're going to help try to help that person out. We're going to try to do something for them. Hopefully, if somebody's out there getting hurt or getting mugged, somebody from Liberty Baptist Church is going to be walking by, especially one of y'all that conceal and carry, because we're going to go over there, we're going to take care of business and try to help those people because we do good works and our community benefits for it. And even if our community decides that it hates us because the evildoers take over, you know what? We're still going to make, we're still going to help them whether they like it or not. That's just the way it ought to be. It's good and profitable. And that's what this woman did. And if some, and when, when you die, it ought to create a void somewhere. It ought to cause people to say, man, I'm going to miss out on great fellowship. I'm going to miss out on encouragement. I'm going to be missing out on someone praying for me. Whatever it is. I remember Brother, Brother Harv Holub, I, used, I went to church with him when I was at my dad's church. Every week after we started the church, he would text me, let me know he was praying, he was praying for me. Every week. The Sunday he died on a Sunday afternoon. He had texted me that morning. Telling me he was, he was praying for me. And I remember when he died, I, I remember thinking, man, that's, that's one less person praying for me. I need that. But you know what? His wife started, just kind of took over. And she texts me every single week. Let me know that she's praying for me. Every Sunday morning doing that. That's a blessing. When she goes, I'm going to be sad. I, I want people like her praying. She's an older lady. There's not much she can do for me. She doesn't send me you know, money and things like that. You know? she, sends me, she sends me a card a lot of times on my birthday, just like she does our kids. But she gives, she gives the kids a dollar. She doesn't give me a dollar. But I'd take it. But yeah, that's okay. I'll take those prayers. I'll, I'll take those things. Those are a blessing. And when she goes, that will create a void. And that's good. That's good. That's a good testimony on her part. There's some people when they die, it's a relief. Hey, that's a lot of trouble I don't have to deal with anymore. I don't want that to be the case. In my funeral, and that, but that was definitely the case. This was a woman who followed Titus 3.8. Why? Because she was a disciple. She had a purpose in life. She was busy doing good for others. She looked for opportunities to help those who needed it. And she was, she was very giving. She not just only did the work, she did alms deeds too. She had the ability to give people money too. She did these things. 
She had a talent and she put it to use for other people. Not everybody can make coats. Not everybody has the same talents. But with the talent that she had, she used it for other people. And she was willing to give to those who couldn't repay. She's not doing it for the mayor's wife. She's not doing it for the rich. She's not doing it for those in high places. She's doing it for the widows. She's doing it for people who couldn't repay her. She wasn't looking for a way to make some money. She wasn't looking for a way to benefit herself. She was looking for a way to help somebody. Why? Because she was a disciple of Christ. And it made her a wonderful person where people are weeping at her death. And notice what else about, about her in verse 38. It says, "...and for as much as little as nigh unto Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto him two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. And when he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber. And all the widows of him weeping, showing him the coats and garments which Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, turning him to the body and said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up and he gave her his hand and lifted her up. And when he had called the saints... And widows presented her alive, and it was known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Now I want you to notice, in this situation, God used this great miracle to bring many people to Christ. Many people ended up believing as this woman rose from the dead. And I'm not here today telling you what you need to do to be resurrected from the dead at your funeral. Okay, That's not what this is about. But I want you to notice though, when she arose from the dead, everyone was happy. They wanted her back. They, did, they wanted her back. And, and often, often there's relief at a funeral because the person just lived a long, full life and they were ready to go. A great illustration of that, my grandpa. When my grandpa died, while we were sad that he was gone, it was one of the happiest funerals I've ever been to. Why? Because my, my grandpa, he had, you know, he'd had heart problems for a long time. Uh, we had went and saw him in the hospital not real long before he died. And he knew he was about to go. My grandpa, if, if you knew him, this is kind of his personality. But we were there at the hospital, yeah, and he was just talking. We mentioned something coming up in the future. And he's like, yeah, I probably won't be there. You know, I'm probably going to be dead by then. And, he, and he's not saying that like, yeah, I'll probably be dead by then. No, just, no, I'll probably be dead then. I'll probably be in heaven. And he's just... He's just talking like, man, I'm about to die. And he was, I mean, he was totally fine. He's not, if you knew my grandpa, he's not trying to act spiritual. Right? He's just a very matter of fact, this is how it is guy. He was not, he wasn't, he, does, he didn't put on. That just wasn't his personality. And I remember I talked to him on the phone one time before he died. And man, he was, he was just ready to go. It was like he was excited. My time has come. Grandma died about five years before, and he missed her, and he mentioned that, and he had he had lived a long, full life, a very giving individual, one who loved his family. He had no regrets, and when he died, when I, I mean, when he was dying, the biggest concern we had was just death itself, because it can be, you know, a rough trip. But you know, when he finally crossed over and was in heaven, everyone was happy. Not because he's gone. No. He'd finished his course. He was ready to go. And so, I mean, and I think that was a wonderful 
testimony. And so that's the case in many funerals. If people are, have that feeling, they're done, their suffering's over, they're with the Lord, that's great. That, that's, a, that's a wonderful, wonderful testimony right there. In this case, this was a younger woman. You know, in this case, this was someone who had a lot more years where she had the potential to do more good. And these people, they wanted her back. And when we go at a young age, it ought to create a void. And even if, even, said, even if you go to an old age, there's still things you can do. You can be a prayer warrior. You can be an encouragement to other people. You can be that person that just you know, sends someone a text, letting them know you're praying for them. You can be that one that just does little things. I mean, when I was a kid, we had, we had an older man in our church named Marvin. The guy always gave me candy. A lot of times it was butterscotch. All right? And I never had the heart to tell him, I don't like butterscotch. But I was always excited to see him because he almost always had candy in his hand. I was always just hoping it was a peppermint and not a butterscotch. All right? But either way, you, know, you remember things like that. Little kids remember things like that. They remember, they're gonna, you know, the little kids here are gonna remember Brother Bob, who always had the suckers that he was giving kids. They're, they're, gonna, they're gonna remember stuff like that. Say, so well, what did that accomplish? All he did was help rot their teeth out. No, he didn't. You know, what, you know what he did? He was somebody who brought in a friendly face to the church, who just made the church a little more pleasant, a little more friendly, who made the kids a little more happy. That's what he did. That's good. That's a blessing. And when he died, that was gone. We didn't have that anymore. They don't have that. If you go to the Asian buffet in Sterling, your kid's probably not going to get a sucker when they go there. You know why? Because he's not there anymore. It, it, cre- it created a void. Little things like that. So that's a, Listen, when we are blessing children, that means a lot to God. Just like when you do something to offend a child... Bible, this is how God feels about it. God says it's better than a millstone were hanged around your neck and it was cast into the depths of the sea. Boy, if God gets that fired up when we hurt a child, how do you think God feels when we bless a child? So think about that kind of thing. And you have an opportunity there, and you might think it's nothing, it's insignificant, it makes a difference. It's a great testimony if when you die, one of the little kids in the church is crying about it. So that said, no, that's, that's good. That's a blessing. You need to think about those things and look for opportunities. This example that that Tabitha set, it's one that's hard to find in this day and age. And you know what? It was hard to find back then too. We see in 1 Timothy chapter 5, I'm going to go there to close. 1 Timothy chapter 5, you say, well, that was just the culture back then. You know, if people did more work now, you know, it's, it's harder now. You know, ladies, they got their, you know, trying to break their glass ceilings and their careers and all these things, you know, they, they've got to try to do. No, we've always had the same problems throughout history. But look what it says in 1 Timothy 5, verse 9. It says, Let not a widow be taken into the number under threescore years old, having been the wife of one man, well reported of for good works, if she hath brought up children, if she hath lodged strangers, if she hath washed the saints' feet, if she hath relieved the afflicted, if she hath diligently followed every good work. This is a good testimony of a widow. But it says right here, but the younger widows refuse, for when they have begun to wax one against Christ, they will marry, having damnation because they have cast off their first faith, and withal they learn to be idle. He said, You gotta watch out. He said, Don't bring in the young ones into the church. Don't let you know, don't take them in and be responsible for them. 
Because what happens with the younger women is what he's saying right here. He said, if you're going to take them in, bring in the older ones that have proved themselves. You can count on them, but these younger ones, it's different. Why? Because this is what happens with them. This is something that used to go on back in those days. See if this reminds you of modern days. They learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but tattlers also, busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. We don't have a gossip problem in our day and age, do we? You know, the idle, tattling, things like that. That doesn't happen today, does it? Yeah, it does happen today. And it happened back then. The same problems the ladies struggled with back then, they struggle with today. Tabitha, she could have been one of those women like that, but she wasn't. She was someone who used the gift she had to be a blessing to others. And so he said in verse 14, I will therefore that the younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully, for some have already turned aside after Satan. This was a problem. It was hard to find faithful women back then doing the right things, not getting all idle, finding ones that were keeping themselves busy, being a blessing to other people, washing the saints' feet, ministering to other people. It was hard to find ones like that back then to the point where he said, don't even try if they're under 60 years old. But yet we see in this story... A man named Tabitha, she was under that age, but she wasn't doing any of that junk. And what was she doing with her time? She was being a blessing to other people. And so all of us, we need to understand we have a purpose in life, and that purpose ought to be to serve Christ. To put Him first. Forget the whole world. As far as I'm concerned, I hate the whole world. But I love Jesus Christ. So you know what that's going to make me? That's going to make me good to the whole world. That's going to make me kind to the whole world. I'm going to be being a blessing to the whole world. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to be a better husband, a better father, a better pastor across the board if, I be, if I'm like Tabitha, a disciple of Christ, putting Him first because then I'm going to be someone who's maintaining good works and I'm going to be profitable to men. And when my time comes, I hope it creates a void. I hope that there's something missing because I've been doing something for the cause of Christ. And I hope there's some people that are going to be miss me. I hope some tears are going to be shed. I want that kind of thing to happen. I want people to be happy and know that I'm in heaven. But I want somebody to be sad too. Alright? Please, someone cry at my funeral. You know? I know there's not going to be the crowd waiting around to see the reading of the will because, uh, you know... The big inheritance isn't looking real good all right now. <laughs> well, right now, unless something drastically changes. But uh, you know, I do hope people are there, and that ought to be your goal. And you, you work, you can, you start working on that right now, right now. And if you quit, people forget pretty fast. So you want to maintain it to the end. Do whatever you can, and don't don't worry if it's small or seems insignificant. Those are the things that make the biggest difference sometimes and mean the most to people. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, I pray You'll help all of us in here to think about this. Lord, our day is coming. I hope it's a long way for everyone in here. I hope it's a long way away for me. I hope I'm here until Your return. But chances are my time is going to come before that takes place. And if it does, I pray that I will have followed You. I will have been a disciple. I pray that this church will be full of disciples. I pray that Liberty Baptist Church will make 
the Sterling Rock Falls area a better place. We will become a force for good in this community that we, that we will be noticed, Lord, not just because we want attention, but because good things are happening and it comes from people in this church. In Your name we pray. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and stand.